Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Kohler. They design innovative sinks and faucets for people who do their best work in the kitchen. Sound has the power to impact our emotions. The sounds of waves crashing on a shore might soothe. A fire alarm is designed to alert, even panic, and depending on the time of day or night, the sound of a baby might bring on feelings of joy or exhaustion. But the sound of an ice cream truck, well, for me, that unmistakable sound of jingle jangle melody has the ability to cut through the hot summer funk and pull me back in time. A time of diving into sofa cushions looking for change, running outside barefoot, and tearing that crinkly wrapper off of a fudgesicle drumstick, or maybe if I was feeling patriotic, a firecracker. Again, that's the power of sound. And the sounds of ice cream truck music should be one of the sweetest in the world. In 2014, Theodore R. Johnson III published an article for NPR's Code Switch. While researching racial stereotypes, he came across an album released by Columbia Records in 1916 that contained a song with an unspeakable, offensive title. Johnson listened to the lyrics, which depicted disgusting caricatures of Black people, all set to a familiar tune. It was the same melody used in Turkey in the Straw, a song synonymous with ice cream truck music. Johnson wrote, It's not new knowledge that matters of race permeate the depths of our history and infiltrate the most innocent of experiences, even the simple pleasure of ice cream. However, when the reach of racism robs me of fond memories from my childhood, it feels intensely personal again. That article blew up online, and a passionate debate began. Did Turkey in the Straw still belong in the ice cream truck canon after this connection was revealed? The debate dwindled over the next few years until the summer of 2020, when the issues of race and injustice were launched into the forefront of the American conversation. This morning, the FBI is looking into the death of a black man after he was stopped by police in Minneapolis. Four police officers have been fired after a man was pinned to the ground and died. The remarkable scenes that have been unfolding in cities across this country yet again. Protests over the death of George Floyd while in police custody now in their eighth night. We are here for justice for George. We're sick and tired of being abused and oppressed by the police. The turkey and the straw debate was revived with countless Facebook timeline shares, and the calls to remove the song returned. Ultimately, the decision and power to remove the song fell to two people. I am Mark Nichols, and I manufacture electronic music boxes for ice cream trucks, as does my wife. And I'm Beth Nichols, and I do the same thing. Today on Proof, we tell the story of how one small, family-owned business found itself at the center of the biggest controversy to ever rock the ice cream truck industry. And what they did next. 
From America's Test Kitchen, I'm Bridget Lancaster, and this is Proof. Hi, Proof listeners, it's Bridget, and I want to tell you about NakedWines.com. It's a whole new way to buy wine. NakedWines.com will ship delicious, affordable wines directly to your home, all from independent winemakers worldwide. It's a great way to try new wines with no risk, because if you don't like a wine, they have a completely hassle-free money-back guarantee. And that's even if you drank the whole bottle. On their website, you can read reviews from other wine drinkers, and you can find advice for what wines to pair with your favorite meals. Go to nakedwines.com slash proof for $50 off your first order. Nichols Electronics owns the ice cream truck music box market. They have no major competitors. If you hear that familiar tinny, high-pitched tune ringing out through your neighborhood, chances are extremely high that it's being played from a Nichols music box. Our executive producer, Caitlin Kelleher, brings us this story. The company was founded by a guy named Bob Nichols, an electrical engineer from Minneapolis. His son, Mark, and daughter-in-law, Beth, took over the business in the 80s. His dad started the business the year Mark was born, actually, in 1957. You don't mind if I say that? I do not. Mark and Beth are childhood sweethearts. They grew up together in Richfield, Minnesota, and dated off and on before finally getting married. Now they have two kids and a music box business. They're the kind of couple who finish each other's sentences. They don't have insurance. Or, your customer I mean, you have comes some insurance. to you. Yeah, know. basically, your customer comes to you, and it changes the- Nowadays, Mark and Beth are the only two employees of Nichols Electronics. At one point, they had an employee named Dan that helped them out. But now, it's just them. We're so tiny... You know, nobody wants to talk to us about anything. I well, mean, I, Caitlin I, does. Well, I, I understand. <laughs> but I'm just According to Mark, the family business always held a certain allure for him, even as a kid. He loved hanging out with his dad in the workshop, tinkering with things. By the time he was 11 or 12, his dad had him assembling circuit boards. He definitely inherited his dad's engineering gene. But also, Mark just really liked working with him. You know, my father and I worked together every day for... 25 years. And I mean, we just, we got along well. We worked well together. This music box is just one of his many things, but um, they were always tinkering and making stuff at their house. I thought it was a fascinating place to be because they were always making things and still are where I turn Mark's making something. That's true. Mark's dad, Bob Nichols, served as a corporal in the Army Air Force during World War II. He worked with radios during the war, but mostly he was self-taught. He was always tinkering, always inventing something. When Bob started Nichols Electronics, he wanted to focus on radio and television parts. Well, that plus manufacturing a few of his one-off inventions, like a coin-operated foot massager. You know, you'd roll a nickel in, and that's what it cost, and it would shake your feet for five minutes. Which is to say, he didn't exactly set out to become the ice cream truck music box guy. But that's how it worked out. Mark explained that his dad's old army buddy, a guy by the name of John Ralston, roped him into the music box game. John was kind of a, John was a serial entrepreneur. John was just a really fun guy. And so he always had something cooking. After the war, Ralston worked as a driver for the Swell Time Ice Cream Company in Los Angeles. Swell Time was a competitor of good humor, 
who John had also driven for. Good Humor was a real trailblazer in the mobile ice cream industry. They had replaced hand-rung bells with amplified music boxes on their trucks. The boxes were mechanically complicated and prone to breaking, but when they worked, they really worked. Amplified music increased sales. And as a former Good Humor driver, Ralston knew that. When Ralston was driving for Swell Time, their trucks didn't have amplified music boxes. So he decided to jury-rig his own. He took a wind-up toy music box and an army surplus microphone. He taped the whole thing to the steering column and powered it off his truck's battery. And it worked. His sales skyrocketed. Ralston initially took his basic design for an amplified music box to another manufacturer, who started making commercial boxes based on his design. And competitors took notice. So when Ralston came back to his manufacturer the next year and tried to order more for his expanding fleet of trucks, the guy told him, You know, get in line. I got 100 orders in front of you. And needless to say, that irritated John. So John approached his old army buddy, Bob Nichols, and asked if he could build him a box. And Bob thought, sure, why not? What followed was the biggest drama in the music box industry before the turkey in the straw controversy. Carlson Electronics, the original manufacturer of John Ralston's box, and Nichols Electronics began a years-long game of one-upsmanship. Every time Bob Nichols would release an improvement on his box, Carlson would follow suit. And every time my dad would make an improvement, Carlson did the exact same thing. I mean, he just out and out stole his design. And, you know, at the beginning, my dad was irritated about it. But, you know, I don't know why. I mean, I understand why he would be. But, I mean, when you think about how the genesis of it all occurred, he kind of ate Carlson's lunch there at the beginning. So, uh, you know, (laughs) turnabout was fair play, I guess. Bob looked for ways to make the boxes more efficient. He updated the amplification system from a tube amp to a transistor amp, which weren't as draining on a truck's battery. And as always, Carlson copied. But in 1960, Bob made an update that would change everything. His real masterwork. He updated the musical movement inside his box. Before the change, the boxes were using a disc-based musical movement. Mark explained it basically looked like a mini CD made of steel with little bent-up prongs. Those prongs would pluck the teeth on a comb as the disc rotated, which produces the sound you hear. The disc-based movements were big, expensive to make, and had to be serviced. Bob replaced that with something called a cuckoo movement, similar to the wind-up mechanism that you find in a cuckoo clock or a jewelry box. That one update sliced the price of the box from $125 to $80. And in the 1960s, that was real money. When he made the change over to the the musical movement, the cost savings were significant enough that it mattered to people. And on top of the cost savings, the new boxes were more compact and reliable. Carlson didn't bother updating his design this time. Nichols Electronics now owned the ice cream truck music box market. Over the years, competitors would occasionally pop up and then just as quickly fizzle out. Nichols may own the market, But it's a small market to begin with, and it's a tough business to be in. It requires close relationships with the ice cream truck vendors. And these days, there are fewer vendors than there used to be. The industry has been slowly contracting for years. But while their business may be changing, 
Mark and Beth's song selection has remained basically unchanged since the 1970s. As they see it, there's no reason to mess with it. And believe it or not, there's a pretty precise logic to what makes a good ice cream truck song. According to Mark, the melodies that perform best are old and recognizable. It's got to be an earworm. So when you take a look at what has made it, that somebody has bothered to make a, a mechanical music works out of it, you've got hundreds of years of melodies to choose from. All the real losers have dropped off. In other words, only the catchiest tunes stand the test of time. And once a song's been around long enough, people have a chance to get attached to their favorites. But it's actually far more complicated than that. And turns out, melody is not the most important factor. The melody, the melodic aspect of it, kind of takes a backseat to the timbre. This is Dan Neely. He's an ethnomusicologist, which is someone who studies music in its social and cultural contexts. Dan is one of the very few people in the world who has actually studied ice cream truck music. Like, when people talk about ice cream truck music, they don't start with the music or the melody or the name of the melody. That's always, like, the second thing they say. They always talk about, like, oh, the, the sound, that sound. They either love it or they hate it. But it's not the melody that they like or hate. It's the sound of the music itself. This is about to get sort of technical for a minute here, but Dan's theory is that it's not the melody that makes an ice cream truck song successful. He says, it's all about the timbre. Timbre is a musical term that basically means the way something sounds. So an electric guitar and an acoustic guitar could play the exact same set of notes. But the quality of the sound is different. In the case of ice cream truck music, you know exactly what it sounds like. It has uh, a chimic timbre. So it has you know, like a lot of high frequencies. It's gonna be thin sounding. It's going to be sort of metallic sounding. And there are a few reasons why that chimey bell timbre is so important. The first is purely technical. Higher frequency sounds travel more easily in space. So in a noisy city or suburb, high-pitched music can travel greater distances, bounce off buildings, and cut through the rest of the city sounds. Way before amplified ice cream truck music became the standard, mobile ice cream vendors used to hand ring bells to attract their customers. Practically speaking, bell sounds travel farther with less effort. The second reason hues a little closer to Mark's theory about nostalgia. You know, bells as being, you know, something that's associated with like angels or like children or things like that. According to Dan, that chimey timbre and bells in particular have been associated with childhood and innocence for centuries. Think church bells, sleigh bells, angels ringing bells, music boxes, et cetera, et cetera. Dan thinks they liked that the bell suggested the innocence of their product, frozen treats for kids, a common childhood experience. The music that we associate with ice cream trucks has remained mostly unchanged for decades. And that's kind of the whole point. It's by design to allow nostalgia to take hold of us, to create an automatic association between ice cream and happiness. So all of this nostalgia around chimey bell timbre and ice cream brings us back to the turkey in the straw. This sweet association between ice cream truck music and childhood innocence made the contents of that NPR article all the more jarring. After the break, we return to the turkey in the straw controversy. Many people are stuck at home 
including us at America's Test Kitchen. Welcome to America's Test Kitchen at home. It's a good day today. Just gonna put this in our food processor and buzz it for five to seven pulses until it's coarsely chopped. <laughs> I'm gonna plug it in too, that's always good. And again, things may catch on fire, it happens. Holy cow, I'm doing this. Okay, I got this. Which means a lot of us are spending more time in our kitchens. Upgrade your kitchen with Kohler's Iron Ridge Farmhouse Kitchen Sink. It has a sloped bottom and it's made of heavy-duty enameled cast iron. This sink is designed to stand up to the hardest working kitchens and look beautiful while doing so. If you're cooking at home more than ever, you might as well enjoy it. Learn more at Kohler.com. If you take pleasure in your morning routine, OXO's newest coffee and tea line, OXO Brew, is for you. Senior product engineer Mac Moore says their products are designed to make your morning routine better. We notice that when using proper burr coffee grinders, the static was like a real issue, especially after repetitive use. The static would build up and grounds would just be flying everywhere. So we set out to solve the problem. Finally, what we landed on was to make the cup that the grounds land in out of stainless steel. The cup itself is grounded and the static buildup problem is reduced a lot. Oxo Brew's burr grinder lets you start your morning static free. Shop Oxo Brew products at oxo.com slash brew. That's oxo.com slash brew. Oxo, better guaranteed. Hi, Proof listeners. The holiday season is here, and in New England, that means all things cranberry. Now, today, I'm calling my America's Test Kitchen colleague, Sam Block, to hear how she likes to use cranberries. Hey, Sam. Hey, Bridget. So, I've got cranberries in my recipes. I've got cranberries in decorations, that's for sure. What about cranberries for the home bar? Feeling like a cocktail. Well, I have just the recipe for you. It's called the New Englander. And it's a combination of cranberry shrub syrup, a little bit of lime juice, and some seltzer to make it nice and effervescent. So there's no alcohol in it? There is none. I love that. Even though it's spirit-free, it still has lots of holiday spirit in it. Get in the spirit this holiday season with the help of Ocean Spray Cranberries. For more information and recipes, visit oceanspray.com. Now back to our story. When the article first came out in 2014, Mark Nichols was alarmed and confused. Tricky in the Straw was the number two most popular song on their boxes. At first, he thought the melody's connection to minstrelsy might be an urban myth. He tried to track down a copy of the racist song himself to confirm it was real, and he had a hard time finding one. I found it disturbing and troubling. At first, I just thought, it is not, you know, it's not a classic 300-year-old song's fault that some racist idiot put abhorrent lyrics to a classic melody and really didn't sell very many copies of it. And it was he also struggled conceptually with the idea of a melody being problematic. He was absolutely disgusted by the lyrics found in the racist song. But at the same time... But if somebody had put lyrics like that to our national anthem, would, would that then invalidate our national anthem? 
As I spoke with Mark over Zoom, I could tell that he was a measured and thoughtful person. He wasn't reactive. He really considered it from all sides. And he was genuinely humble about thinking through complex questions, like the significance of a racist song set to an old melody. He understood that he had a choice to make, and he did the research he needed to satisfy himself. He chose not to pull the song, put the controversy aside, and life moved on. Then, on May 25, 2020, George Floyd was killed. The Nichols family lives right outside of Minneapolis, and Mark's own community became the epicenter of a worldwide outpouring of grief and rage. We live in Minneapolis, and uh, when uh, George Floyd was killed by a Minneapolis police officer, I witnessed it on TV, and we just both came in and said, no, it may or may not be the song's fault. I don't even care. We started getting a lot of calls right at the same time it, because everyone's aware was sensitized to and, and you can't blame people. So right away, you decided, no, we're just going to take that song off there. So, you know, there's a part of me that still thinks, you know, you're going to blame a 300-year-old melody that's beautiful and classic for one individual's stupidity. But the much larger part of me said, and Beth had the exact same attitude on this that I did, which was, I'm not going to have one child walking away from an ice cream truck feeling bad yeah, because of a song I've put on there, mm. if I can change it. And we didn't have to have a vote on it, or we made a decision and pulled it off of there. The Nichols got lots of angry calls from customers who were upset that they'd removed such a classic, popular melody. But Mark and Beth were firm. It's just one of those things where I'm a big Harry Truman fan, and the buck stops here at this desk, and I made that call. And if you don't like it, start your own company and make whatever you want. So, But at the same time, they understand why the change is difficult for some people. Ice cream vendors who share turf stick to specific songs to identify themselves to their customers. And inevitably, some vendors are known by Turkey in the Straw. It's their song. And they're afraid it could hurt their business to change to a new song. And they're very attached to their song. They are attached to their song. There's there's a great loss in Turkey in the Straw. Lots of people there. A lot lot of people. It was used a lot. It was used a lot. And it's been around a long time. It's important to note that it's not as simple as just replacing the one song on the boxes. Vendors have to replace the whole music box. The nickels aren't recalling them, and the boxes are built like tanks, meant to last forever. So for those vendors who depend on the song, they will still have the song on their existing box until they replace it. I mean, part of me is like, you know, just get over it. Here's Dan Neely again. You know, because maybe it's just time to move on from the song. But then like sort of the academic side of me says like, listen, the song's not what's making this work for you. It's the sound of the music, the timbre. That is what's working for you. And if you, you know, if a slight melodic rebranding is going to hurt your business, then maybe there's something else going on, you know? As a music scholar, Dan says he's empathetic about why Mark is conflicted. He also struggles with the idea that a melody can be racist on its own. But for him, the more interesting question is how associations between music and meaning do happen and how they change over time. Songs are part of our culture, and as they move through time, they pick up meaning 
the meaning we give them. So in the case of Turkey in the Straw, once the NPR article resurfaced, the more nefarious parts of the song's history reemerged with it. In early June, as protests rocked the country, videos surfaced on social media of cars playing the ice cream truck version of Turkey in the Straw while driving through historically Black neighborhoods in New York City. We can't confirm who was playing that song. And we also can't know for sure what their intention was, playing the jingle while driving through a historically Black neighborhood at the height of protests during a very painful year for Black Americans. But it's clear the way the message was received. This is the point Dan Neely makes about how meaning gets assigned to music. So, you know, when a melody's association can be reinscribed in different ways, it doesn't necessarily have to be the conscious use of, a, of lyrics in a melody to do it. It can be like sort of like this ancillary thing, like, you know, an NPR article. And then people hear the melody and they go, oh, this is the race of the past. And then, you know, for whatever reason, it gets used in very unfortunate ways. And, you know, it's meaningful. In the pressure cooker of 2020, the turkey in the straw controversy took on a life of its own. Mark and Beth told me that some people misunderstood the original NPR article and took it to mean that all ice cream truck music had racist roots. Mr. Softy had his driver, somebody pulled a gun on one of his drivers, okay, for playing that racist music. Okay, the, the Mr. Softy song is from 1957. That lyrics are something like, it, it's the dreamiest, creamiest ice cream you've ever seen or something like that. They just didn't realize They didn't it. realize They it. thought all music, all uh, ice cream truck music then was bad, not just this one song. It was against this backdrop that one June morning, Mark and Beth entered the workshop and decided it was time for the industry to move on from Turkey in the Straw. There's a reason they've stayed in this business as long as they have. And it's because they like being part of something that feels uncomplicatedly positive. They like being part of a kid's childhood experience with an ice cream truck. After he made the decision to pull turkey and the straw from their boxes, Mark got a call from Unilever. They make tons of the most well-loved and well-known ice cream brands like Good Humor, Ben & Jerry's, and Breyers. And as a leader in the ice cream world, Unilever said that they wanted to be, quote, part of the solution. So they commissioned a brand new ice cream truck jingle to replace Turkey in the Straw. And I didn't know who their artist was, but I, I just gave them as succinct a description as I could about what I thought made a good song. Because a lot there's been a lot of tries that have flopped. This mystery artist that Unilever commissioned to write the new song? It turns out it was RZA. Yes, that RZA from Wu-Tang Clan. Hey, yo, 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 what's up? You got the RZA live in effect. Chillin' right here, yo. Do you remember that ice cream jingle? Of course, we all know it. I'm not gonna play it right now, though, because we come to find out that it has racist roots. I didn't realize they got RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan to write It's Good, and it's a very nice song. And, and it's song number one on Channel One on our current music box now, and it takes the place that Turkey and Straw used to have on our music box now. Music is considered an artwork. It's protected by intellectual property laws. Most of the classic jingles on the Nichols box are so old that they're in the public domain. 
So a very important part of this project was that Unilever released Riz's new track with a blanket license for all drivers, meaning it's free. And I'm proud to say, for the first time in a long time, a new ice cream truck gene will be made available to trucks all across the country in perpetuity. That means forever, you know what I mean? Like Wu-Tang's forever. No one can say for sure yet how well Riz's song will be received. Only time will tell. But Dan Neely, our ethnomusicologist, thinks Riz really nailed it from a technical standpoint. I think that what he did is great. Like, it, it sounds like it's ice cream truck music, but it's not as sort of rhythmically uh, boring. You know, like, will people listen to that and say, like, oh, that's Riz's tune? You know, I'm not sure. But because, like, the timbre is right, it will attract attention in whatever neighborhood it goes into. And as both a musical scholar and a RZA fan, Dan couldn't help himself. He tried to get his paper titled Ding Ding, The Commodity Aesthetics of Ice Cream Truck Music into RZA's hands through a mutual friend, you know, for a pro-to-pro musical nerd out moment. You know, I'd love to like, you know, ask him about what he thought. We have a mutual friend and I've sent him my article and said, you know, just send it to him. Like if if I never hear from him, that's fine, you know, but... It'd be interesting to know that he got it. I really wanted to use the good old power of the press to make this dream a reality for Dan. But after months of pestering Riz's extremely patient assistant, I wasn't able to get him for comment. It turns out he's busy because, you know, he's Riza. So that's how this story ends. Turkey in the Straw will no longer be on the Nichols music boxes moving forward. And it's been replaced by a song from one of the most successful Black musicians of all time. It feels full circle in a way. Satisfying. Their kids don't plan to take over the business when Mark and Beth retire. So the latest box from Nichols Electronics, the one loaded with Riz's new track, it will be the last box that Mark and Beth ever make. It's called the Omni 2. And in keeping with the family tradition, Mark got some help from his son with the new design. Our son is an electrical engineer. More than that, he's got a PhD in whatever. Plasma physics, I think. No, uh, no? he's an electrical engineer. Okay. Well, anyway, he and Mark designed a new music box for us in the last year. And it is a, a fantastic design. Like most great inventions, the Omni 2 was born out of necessity. They ran out of the integrated circuits that they needed to make the older models a year ago. And the company they sourced them from stopped making them. So the next generation of Nichols engineers did what they do best. They got to tinkering. He put a, I mean, he's an electrical engineer. He put a crowbar circuit so you can't overpower. I mean, he, those things are going to last forever. I am not going to last forever, but the Omni 2s are going to last forever. The Omni 2 is Nichols Electronics' masterpiece. In many ways, it's a fitting final installment in the company's history. It's the culmination of decades of continuous innovation, commitment to their customers, strong family ties, and a desire to make something of high quality, no matter how great the cost. I think what made the Nichols box unique and successful is because it's built like it's going to last forever. It's got really rugged construction and I mean, not to talk up our own product, but it's true. I mean, it is just, even the way we, we package it to ship it is like in two boxes. It's like 
Nobody does anymore. It's, it's built, it's totally built like you really can't make stuff anymore, which is also part of the problem. I mean, you know, we have... It's expensive we, to we build have, like We that. have steel chassis. Hearing them talk about all the corners they aren't willing to cut, it's not hard to see how that same sense of integrity came into play when Mark and Beth were thrust into the center of a controversy they didn't create. All I can do is I daily want to endeavor to do the right thing as I see it, not, you know, it doesn't have to be as everyone sees it. I work with my father and know my father well enough that if I think it's the right thing, he would have thought it was the right thing. I'm not insecure about that at all. But it is a business of goodwill and happy memories for children and happy memories for adults. And I take a certain amount of pride in that. The Nichols family built a business out of happy childhood memories and constant innovation. The next time I hear that chimey music ringing through my neighborhood, it'll sound like so much more than just ice cream. Thanks to our executive producer, Caitlin Kelleher, for reporting the story. Now, if you like Proof, then be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This is the last episode of Season 6, but we'll be back in the spring with more great food stories. So stay tuned. In the meantime, check out the other great podcasts from America's Test Kitchen. If you've got little ones, then Mystery Recipe from America's Test Kitchen Kids is a must-listen. And if you want intimate conversations with some of the food world's up-and-coming stars, catch up on Season 1 of The Walk-In, hosted by my colleague, L. Simone Scott. Thanks, as always, for listening. Proof is hosted and produced by me, Bridget Lancaster. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. Sarah Joyner is our managing producer. Associate producer, Caroline Rickert. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester and Jordan Pearson. Post-production supervisor is Hen Margolis. Our production manager is Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by Angela Yang. Jack Bishop is the Chief Creative Officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. Thanks again to our sponsors, Kohler, Oxo, Miyoko's Creamery, Ocean Spray, and NakedWines.com. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.